This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back. Today's episode is a deep dive into how to choose the best movements for building muscle. Exercise selection 101, if you will. Because the reality is, if you're working hard in the gym and the kitchen, but you're still not seeing the results you want, then there's likely an issue with your exercise selection. And really, if your goal is to achieve a lean, strong body composition, some exercises are inherently better than others. Now, because this is a problem that I see a lot with new online clients, because the reality is most people that are attracted to my coaching service are already working their asses off, both in the gym and the kitchen. If that speaks to you at all, then it's very likely that the problem isn't that you need to work harder, like you're telling yourself, you probably just need to work smarter. So today we're gonna dive into exactly how to do that. And really, this episode is going to give you the complete thought process and system behind the exercises we program for our online clients within our online coaching service. So if you're chasing a better body composition and want to get more out of each training session, this episode is going to be essential for you. So let's dive right into the essential pieces or the keys to exercise selection. We have five keys here. Number one is the target muscle group needs to be the rate limiter. So when the goal is building lean muscle, you want the quote unquote rate limiter or the thing that forces you to eventually stop a movement to be the specific muscle group or groups you're targeting. So let's use a super common example of this. Let's say that you're doing heavy farmer carries to train your core, but you refuse to wear wrist straps because (laughs) this is very, very common. And as a result, your grip always gives out long before core fatigue would cause you to stop the movement. So thus, this has become a pretty shitty exercise for actually building a stronger core. And this is hella common with loaded carries. Grip is almost always the limiting factor. And it doesn't make sense because people are doing loaded cores, loaded carries, not loaded cores, um, loaded carries to build their core, but their grip is giving out long before their core is even like slightly taxed. So if the goal was to build grip strength, this would be a great fit. But in this case, where you're chasing a stronger core, it's really not. So like in this case, it would likely be a good idea to just add some wrist straps. So some common examples of rate limiters on exercises that are stopping you from building lean muscle. One, grip strength. Two, unstable exercises. So we have the classic example of doing squats on a BOSU ball. You don't fail the movement because of fatiguing your quads. You fail due to a lack of stability. Another common rate limiter is going to be core strength. So let's use the example of a renegade row, right? But let's say you were doing the renegade row to try to build your back. Now, if you've ever done a renegade row or if you don't know what a renegade row is, basically you are at the start of a push-up position, You hands and hands and feet are on the floor, and then you're rowing up, but your hands are on dumbbells. You're rowing up to your sides, of course, one at a time, alternating left, right, left, right. Now, for your core, this is a great movement. But if you were doing this for to try to build your back, 
core fatigue would become the rate limiter long before the musculature of your back. So it just wouldn't make sense because, again, the area we're building the most fatigue, the area that eventually forces you to stop the movement is your core, not your lats or your rhomboids. And then we have cardiovascular fatigue. And this is really one of the most common examples I see of this. And typically this comes down to people just cutting rest periods too short between sets or stringing together too many exercises in a row with inadequate rest. Really, this is a big part of why I always prescribe specific rest periods for my online clients. Very common examples of this we, we could see would be like Orange Theory or like any type of circuit type training or boot camp type training typically. Um, this is one of the most common mistakes because really you'll feel tired and you'll feel the burn, but after a couple of months, your body composition still hasn't changed. And that's because we know that to actually stimulate lean muscle growth, which is a big part of changing your body composition, we need to achieve effective reps. Basically, we need to take a muscle within a few reps shy of failure. But if you're constantly bouncing back and forth between all these exercises with no rest in between, it's more than likely your cardio system is just so gassed that that's often the reason you stop rather than actual muscular fatigue. We could even use the example of like, this is why, one of the reasons why we wouldn't like, unless you really hated a client, <laughs> why you would never program like 30 reps of a barbell back squat, right? By the time you got to like 25 reps, you would probably be puking. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, okay, my quads are so fatigued that I can't do this anymore. Straight up, your cardio system is just a limiting factor. And this is very, very common. Um, that's honestly, and that's a big reason why like compound exercises as a whole, we know the five to 30 rep range is pretty similar as far as effectiveness goes, as long as we achieve effective reps. But why it often doesn't make sense to like, okay, I'm going to program 20 reps plus of a back squat. All right. The next key to selecting smarter exercises is compoundedness. Now I have to give credit to mental Henselmans for the term compoundedness, which I'm pretty sure isn't actually a real word, but basically compoundedness means that a movement works multiple muscle groups and joints simultaneously, AKA it's a compound movement. Now compoundedness is important because it leads to more bang for your buck and efficiency when it comes to building muscle. So to illustrate, let's compare leg extensions versus high bar back squats. So to get the same magnitude of training stimulus from four sets of high bar squats, you would have to do many more sets of leg extensions. So from an efficiency perspective, programming at least some high bar squats wouldn't make sense. Now, I'm going to talk a lot, <laughs> just as a side note, I'm going to talk a lot about the high bar back squat in this episode. But realize that when I say high bar squat, you can plug in any variation of the squat pattern here that meets the exercise selection 101 criteria. So for example, hack squats, um, safety bar squats, leg presses, etc. Now, back to what we were talking about, this isn't to say that you shouldn't do isolation exercises. They're an important part of a program designed to help you build lean muscle. But most of us simply don't have the time required to build the body composition we want through a program composed purely of isolation work. When you start online coaching with us, your program is built primarily around compound movements. 
This allows you to efficiently accrue the volume or number of heart sets needed across a training week to progress your entire body. And from there, isolation movements are more or less the icing on the cake to add a bit of extra volume to weak points or body parts you want to build. All right, key number three to better exercise selection is range of motion. So typically, the greater the range of motion an exercise allows, the more effective it will be for stimulating muscle growth. So again, let's use the example of a high bar back squat. The high bar squat is a movement we program for online clients, typically to target, well, always I should say, to target the quads. So the role of the quads in the squat is knee extension aka straightening your legs or standing up from the bottom of the rep. Now the more knee flexion or bending at the knee you can achieve on the way down, which will also equal a lower squat, the more quad stimulus you'll get from every single rep because your quads are being forced to work through a greater range of motion. So let's say you could either A, squat just to 90 degrees with 225 pounds on your back for eight reps at one rep in reserve. So you're stopping one rep shy of failure. So basically you're doing a box squat, let's say. Or B, you could squat well below parallel with 185 pounds on your back for eight reps at one rep in reserve. So option B, despite being less load, again, we're matching reps in RIR or reps in reserve, but we're using 40 pounds less for option B. Option B would still stimulate more muscle growth in your quads due to the greater range of motion. And as an added bonus, a movement with a greater range of motion, again, consider the example of deep squats versus squats to parallel, will also be less taxing on your joints and nervous system because you're using a lighter load, but achieving the same or better stimulus. So thus the stimulus to fatigue ratio of a movement with a larger range of motion is better. Now, again, we have to consider here that if we're increasing range of motion on sacrifice of form. So for example, let's say you're hitting a deep ass squat, but your back is rounded over tremendously or missing the forest for the trees. And again, then you're just increasing your likelihood of injury. So full range of motion plus pristine form, I should say here. Key number four is an eccentric component. So the eccentric portion of a movement is typically thought of as the lowering part of a movement. Whereas the concentric portion of a movement is the actual lifting portion of the movement. So we can think here again, if we're talking about the squat, the eccentric is on the way down. The concentric is on the way up. Now it's pretty rare that a movement is missing the concentric portion of the lift, but many movements are noticeably missing an eccentric or many lifters aren't intentional intentional about controlling the eccentric portion of the movement. So the problem here is we know that muscle damage has a strong correlation with muscle growth. We also know that the eccentric portion of a movement is where a large degree of muscle damage is happening. So movements without a controlled eccentric will be much less conducive to muscle growth. So to illustrate this point, let's compare two movements that appear very similar but would create different outcomes as far as muscle growth. The conventional barbell deadlift versus the Romanian deadlift. So the reality is the conventional deadlift for most of us is going to be our strongest lift. It allows you to pull a lot of weight and is also very fatiguing. That said, the muscle building stimulus provided 
for the amount of fatigue generated really isn't that high because a barbell deadlift from the floor is essentially an isometric for your upper back. Your hamstrings never reach their fully stretched position and there's no eccentric component as most people just drop the weight. So you're creating a lot of fatigue, but not that much stimulus as far as building muscle goes. On the flip side, we have the Romanian deadlift. So here you achieve a much greater range of motion and a maximal stretch on the hamstrings with this movement. But there's also a strong focus on the eccentric portion of the lift. But the weight you lift plus the load on your spine is much less. So the movement has a lower quote unquote fatigue cost, but creates more stimulus for most. So if you've done both of the movements, you'll know that your glutes and hamstrings straight up just feel more disrupted after a Romanian deadlift. So specific to hamstring and glute growth, we know that the Romanian deadlift is likely a better option. Another example of this would be like, let's look at a traditional dumbbell row versus a croc row, or let's actually look at a, a barbell row versus a pendlay row. Now the pendlay row has a lot of different variations. A lot of people perform it very differently, but tip how I was taught the movement was we're gonna be as explosive. So it's basically like a barbell row where sitting back into a, somewhat of a hinge, torso is parallel with the floor. We're rowing the bar explosively up from the floor to our stomach and dropping the bar essentially. There's no attempt to control the eccentric. Whereas a barbell row, again, we're in the same position, we're rowing the bar to our stomach, but then we're lowering it slowly and under control. So the barbell row has much more eccentric focus, will create much more, much more muscle damage, will likely create much more muscle growth. Now, on another note, many trainees simply fail to focus on the eccentric portion of a movement as much as they should. So it's smart to focus on controlling the eccentrics of each rep that you do for about two to four seconds. I know for me personally, this is one of the biggest mistakes that I made for the longest time. And again, it comes down to our muscles. When we're talking about muscle growth, it's how we train is a bit different than if we're purely focused on strength. We're not just chasing numbers here. We're chasing applying tension to specific muscles. And a big part of muscle growth is gonna come from controlling these eccentrics. So if you are speeding up the eccentric, you're just letting the weight drop in order to lift more weight, but you're chasing lean muscle growth, again, you're not going about it as effectively as you could. All right, key number five here is ability to overload. So we know that the ability to progressively increase load on a movement over a long period of time is essential to stimulating continuous growth from said movement. One problem with many movements is simply how difficult they are to load over time. So for example, let's consider the push-up versus the barbell bench press or a dumbbell bench press. The push-up is much harder to load in small increments or really much at all outside of just adding a weight vest, whereas the barbell bench press can be loaded in very small increments and thus is easier to progress long-term. This is especially important for online clients that fall into the intermediate plus category as micro-loading or increasing load via very small increments is often the only realistic way to add load. Another good example of this is like doing lots of band movements, um, really like band only movements. And this is one of the bigger uh, struggles I ran into with like clients that were training at home a lot during the pandemic. And we can absolutely make it work but also just realizing that, hey, it is harder for us to progress pr 
to like measure the specific load that you're applying week to week if we're just talking bands because there's so much variability between like hey how far are you standing from let's say you're doing a one arm band row one end of the band is shut in the doorway the other is in your hand okay are you standing closer this week or are you further away um so many different variables outside of like just adding load which is typically why like when i was programming a lot of at-home workouts which most of my clients now have either bought an equipment or are back to the gym so it's not as common but we looked for okay we're gonna keep band resistance the same week to week and then we're gonna like okay maybe we're adding a load of backpack and then like maybe like of course there we can increase reps and that's one good way to measure progress but then, okay, maybe we're adding another book to your backpack this week versus last week. Um, but anyways, kind of a side tangent. So now that you have a good understanding of the keys to smart exercise selection, let's get into a bit more real world application. So let's say you're trying to build your quads and you're trying to decide between either programming for yourself or a client, a goblet squat, a box squat, or a high bar squat. Now remember, you're looking for a movement that ticks these boxes. One, the target muscle group is the rate limiter. Two, compoundedness. Three, a solid range of motion. Four, eccentric component. And five, ability to overload. If we look at a goblet squat, four of the five components are there. So we have compoundedness, multiple muscle groups working at once. You can hit a solid range of motion, an eccentric component, and the ability to overload. The problem is the target muscle group here typically isn't the rate limiter. Really, most often, your upper back strength is going to be the rate limiter when it comes to the goblet squat rather than the quads. So while the goblet squat is likely a good movement for teaching someone how to squat properly, the applications for muscle growth are relatively limited. Um, If we look at the box squat, Right away, we see that range of motion is severely limited by the box. So again, if you want to really jack your ego up and lift a bunch of heavy ass weight with a short range of motion, absolutely do a box squat. Or similarly, like if we want to teach a client, hey, here's how to make this a more posterior dominant squat, which is kind of like if we're squatting for quads like we're talking about here, kind of the exact opposite of what we would want to do anyways. But again, like, in the right context and both of these in the right context are very valuable tools and shit like in-person training especially i had clients all the time doing goblet box squats um to try to teach them how to squat try to teach them how to load the posterior more but in this specific case range of motion is going to be a lot shorter so probably not the best option to build lean muscle but if we look at the high bar squat we can see that it effectively ticks all these boxes and is likely the best option of three. So apply this methodology to the movements you program going forward and you will see drastic improvements in your ability to build lean muscle and improve your body composition. I know I've seen it in my own training and my own body composition and my online clients results improving dramatically when I implemented the system. Now, if you're ready to take the guesswork out of achieving your best body composition ever, Click the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with us. You'll get fully customized training and nutrition protocols fit to your specific goals and lifestyle and expert guidance through every step of the process. Now that is all I have for you guys today. As always, thank you for tuning in.